scripture reading this evening comes from Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. Can you think of a time in your life, or maybe you can remember a time in your life where you were exhausted? I think back uh, to um, when my second son, Henry, was born. Uh, we didn't understand or know at the time that he had a cow's milk protein allergy. And so we couldn't figure out why he wasn't sleeping. And I can remember nights where it would be two in the morning, rocking him, trying desperately, singing songs, playing music, doing everything I knew how to try to get him to go to sleep. And it's one thing when that happens one night, but when it happens every night, eventually that exhaustion begins to take hold. I have other experiences in my life where I've felt that kind of physical exhaustion. I actually, summer working out at Westminster Woods uh, in college, I remember I, it was the last night uh, after camp was over. We were just with the staff cleaning up the camp, and we stayed up all night, as you do, and bonding with the staff. And as I'm driving home, I'm so tired, but I, can't, I don't want to fall asleep at the wheel, so I've got my windows down. I'm blaring music. At one point, I am biting the steering wheel, right, trying to stay awake. Um, and I get home, and I lay down on my futon. I had a futon. Um, and uh, I fell asleep in the get at noon. And when I woke up, I was so disoriented, I thought it was like 5 or 6 o'clock. Turns out it was morning. Um, I went downstairs and realized I had slept for like 18 hours. Maybe you've had an experience where you've been exhausted. I know that in the culture in which we live, um, there is a certain pressure to want to do more, to perform, to, to, to gauge your success by how much you accomplish or how much money you make. And oftentimes what is praised is those people who push the boundaries of what is good for how much we work. Um, this is the culture in which we live. And the unique thing about Jesus' invitation is that he actually calls us to rest. He calls us to rest. We are invited to rest with God. In fact, God, in, in when he created the world, he himself chose to rest on the seventh day. Not out of necessity, not out of need, but because he in himself chose to rest. So in the very beginning, we have this image of God who rests and then creates man, Imago Dei, in his image and shows us by imitation, shows us how we too should take a rest. This is at the heart of who God is. So I would encourage you this evening to consider that the Sabbath rest is God's gift to you. God has set aside the Sabbath day to be holy. And the command he gave to Moses, it was to, to observe the Sabbath and rem to remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy. My wife and I often use a phrase in our life. Um, I've said it many times, I'm very guilty of this, that we are living, it's a busy season that we're in. We're living in a busy season. And the truth is, right now, my life is busy. I'm currently powering through seminary my last year, so I'm doubling up on my classes. 
Um, my wife and I both work, so she works at Wesley Hospital, which working at a hospital right now is a little bit crazy. She's working a shift as we speak. Um, on top of that, we just had a baby girl, and there's, there's a lot in my life and in her life that is changing, and we are in, in fact, in a busy season. The lie, I think, is to assume that the next season won't be busy, that somehow we're going to get through this season into a season when things are no longer chaotic or crazy, because the truth is, life oftentimes gets busier, not less busy, unless we're intentional about it. There's always going to be more work to be done. And that leads us to our first principle this evening, and that is we don't rest because the work is finished. We rest because the work is never finished. It's never finished. There's always more to do. And this is why I believe that God gives us this pattern for both work and rest. Because the truth is, we could continue to work without that encouragement. So we need to see also Sabbath, not just, it's not, it is a gift. So we see Sabbath rest as a gift, but we don't see it as a reward. It's not as if we work hard and then God gives us this reward for working hard. It's not something that is earned, but instead it is a gift that God gives us for restoration and renewal. But this rest that we're talking about, it's not just a physical rest. And yes, that's part of it. I think that there's something holy about a nap at times. But it actually goes beyond the physical and into the spiritual. Um, you see Jesus using in, in our passage tonight the metaphor of a yoke. And I actually have a picture here of what he's talking about. It's a metaphor for this piece of equipment where they would tie two ox together so that they could carry a heavy load. One that would be impossible for a person to carry by themselves. So when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, this image may help us gain an understanding to what he's actually talking about. And the thing we need to understand about Jesus is Jesus didn't enter into his time in ministry without a lot of preparation. He grew up in a simple family in Nazareth. At the age of 12, in Luke, we see he's exhibiting an astonishing understanding in the midst of doctors in Jerusalem. He returns to his home then and lives with his parents and lives a simple life for probably 18 years. We don't really know much about that life, but we assume he worked for his family. And then after receiving baptism from his kind of crazy cousin, John, um, he begins to embark on a season of solitude and fasting. He takes a month and a half and he goes into the wilderness in preparation for his future ministry. And he begins to fast and to pray and to be with his heavenly father. He continued to do ministry following that season. But if you notice, Jesus often has these patterns where he will withdraw from the crowd or he'll withdraw from his disciples and he'll go be alone to pray. And there are times it's, it's almost interesting. You're reading the text and then it just randomly you'll see, and then Jesus went away to be alone. And you see him on multiple occasions separating himself in preparation to do more ministry. Out of this preparation, Jesus was able to lead a public life of service through teaching and healing. He was able to love his companions all the way till the end, even when they disappointed him time and time again. And then ultimately, he was able to die and suffer a great death on a cross. So what does this mean? What does it mean when Jesus tells us to take on his yoke? Dallas Willard writes in his book, uh, Spirit of the Disciplines, he writes, 
And in this truth lies the secret of the easy yoke. The secret involves living as he lived in the entirety of his life. Adopting his overall lifestyle, following in his steps, cannot be equated with behaving as he did when he was on the spot. To live as Christ lives is to live as he did all his life. So here we have this tension, right? What Willard is speaking to is the ways in which we often compartmentalize our faith, right? We see, okay, I'm going to show up on a Sunday morning or a Thursday night to worship and that's my sacred life, and then I have my everyday life, and we sort of put God into the corners of our being. And he's saying, if your expectation is to be able to act as Jesus did in the moment when you're faced with temptation or crisis, to expect to be that and yet not have the same kind of preparation and character building and being, then you're going to be very disappointed. This is what this whole series has been about. It's been about the process of spiritual formation, formation, of practicing the way of Jesus to cultivate our being so that our behavior is not something we're trying to manage, but rather overflows out of our being. As we looked at last week, spiritual formation happens primarily by the power of the Holy Spirit, but it happens also by practicing in community. Um, Have you ever heard the the term, what would Jesus do? Or do you remember the bracelets that I used to have, WWJD? It's an interesting question and, and maybe a good one to ask at times. When you're in a situation, what would Jesus, how would he act in this situation? But I think Willard points to part of the, the problem with that question is that in that moment, if we, we can't always expect that we would be ready to act exactly as he would on the spot without the necessarily necessary strength that discipline, spiritual disciplines can provide us. But there's a second problem, and that is in asking the question of WWJD, Ray Anderson points this out in his book. He says that the very question itself implies the absence of Jesus in that situation. So by saying, what would Jesus do? You're assuming or implying that Jesus isn't here with you now in that moment, that his very presence isn't with you. And so perhaps the better question is where is Jesus in this situation and what should I do as his follower? Or more aptly put, Widget Sasadoff. <laughs> um, I think it makes a better bracelet. It's a little more provocative, you know, gets people talking. Uh, Isaac has one of the bracelets, I think. He's wrapping it in the back. Um, this is a, a, w- a way in which we acknowledge the fact that both to what Willard is speaking to and also to what Ray Anderson speaks to and that Jesus is with us on this journey. The process is not something that we do because we're trying to earn any kind of favor with God. It is done out of the overflow of our being. Jesus is inviting us to take his yoke, which is easy and light, not bound by religion, And this leads us back to our practice for the week, which is Sabbath. Sabbath is God's gift to you and to me. We see in Hebrews 4, 9 through 10, it says, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did his. The author here is very clearly showing us that, yes, God did, in fact, choose to rest from his work. There is a pattern set forth by God, and he invites us into this special rest. But the irony of living in the culture in which we live is that our culture tries to make everything efficient and quick, 
Think of the microwave, for example. Instead of cooking a hot pocket for 40 minutes in the oven, right, a minute or so in the microwave does the trick. Um, you can think of even the way in which we, we can move through vehicles, our mobility. I can drive to work instead of having to walk to work. Uh, you can imagine the difference that should mean I would be less tired and less exhausted because I have, we have vehicles, we have planes, we have trains, we have all these different ways of transportation. Not only that, but we have a smartphone, so information is easy to access. Right? If I want to know something, I can do a simple Google search. Or even crazier, like last night, Betsy sent me on a journey to Target, um, which is fine. I don't mind doing those kinds of things. But she sent me with a four-digit code, and she gave me specific instructions to pull into this specific parking space. And then when I got there, she was going to do some weird thing. And then the lady comes out. I hold my phone to the window, and they literally put the stuff in my trunk. So they put baby food and diapers, whatever it was she ordered. I never had to get out of the car. It was a crazy experience. Not only that, but like I, there are many times now with Grubhub or uh, DoorDash where you can order food and it is literally dropped on your doorstep. We have gotten to a place where expediency is what is people see as the highest value. We have more si- time-saving devices, technological conveniences, and mobility than any point in history. We live in a 24-7 world where um, every good and service is available by the push of a button. And the irony is, is that many of us are more dissatisfied and exhausted than ever before. The rhythms that we see in the success-driven, sex-obsessed, success-oriented culture that we live in is that it takes a toll on our, our minds, our bodies, in ways that we don't even realize. And so the ways in which we try to rest oftentimes means resorting to pulling out our cell phone and turning our brains off and scrolling social media, or whether it's binging a Netflix show or doing something that in our minds thinks that we're actually resting our bodies, but it actually is stimulating our brains. And there's all kinds of science behind what that's doing to our culture and why they say that the Gen Z Uh, generation and the millennial generation are the most depressed and anxious generation. There's so many things happening, and I think that is part of why Sabbath practice is so important. Now, I don't have time to uh, unpack uh, this entire passage, but there's this moment where Jesus is confronted on the Sabbath. And basically what's happening is that the Pharisees were following Jesus around like the paparazzi. Wherever he went, they were following him. They were trying to trap him. They saw him as a threat. And so they call him out because Jesus on the Sabbath day is picking heads of grain, which in that time would have been a violation of Sabbath law. But I love the way Jesus responds to the Pharisees. He says this in verse 25. Have you ever read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Now, a little background, a little context here. David at this point is on the run for his life. Uh, he's a fugitive. He's not yet king at this point. And there was this tabernacle, right, where you would go and went to worship God. There was an altar. There were sacrifices. There were ceremonies. 
and you have this table with consecrated bread. David went in and ate. But it's interesting, there's no indication that it was on the Sabbath. When you read the story in the Old Testament, there, there's no indication that it was a holy day in which that happened. So why is he bringing this up to the Pharisees in this moment? I think it's because he's talking specifically about what's underneath the problem. He's talking about the ceremonies itself, right? We have the Ten Commandments, don't kill, don't steal, don't commit adultery, etc., etc. These are ethical rules for moral living. But there were other laws that were considered ceremonial laws. These were laws about where and how one could worship God. And the tabernacle is where sinful humans could go into the presence of a holy God. One would have to go through these ceremonies where you had to clean yourself, you had to wash your hands, you couldn't touch this or that, you couldn't eat this, you could eat that. There were all kinds of rules, and then you had to bring a very specific kind of sacrifice. And it was this sort of enormous object lesson about why you can't just show up in front of a holy God. Right? God is teaching his people something in the midst of this. Something has to bridge the gap. What Jesus is saying is that even David understood that these ceremonial laws were temporary. It wasn't like the Ten Commandments. It's Jesus saying all these things are temporary. These ceremonial laws are temporary. And all these things you put around the Sabbath, they're not going to last forever. They are getting in the way of the purpose of what Sabbath rest is, which is restoration, renewal, God's gift for people to enter into true rest. And then Jesus says his famous line, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath, the God who created the Sabbath, who chose to rest when he didn't need to. The word Sabbath actually means to cease. And Jesus is the one who said it was finished. It is good. Nothing more needs to be done. When Jesus says he is Lord of the Sabbath, essentially what he is saying is that, look, I'm going to go to the cross, and when I'm on that cross, I'm going to say the words, it is finished. The work is done. Cease from your work. There's a classic movie, maybe you've seen it, um, called Chariots of Fire, which actually is a, a sports movie that actually is a, is surrounds partly the Sabbath, which is interesting. Um, it's based on a true story of two Olympians uh, in 1924. One of them, Eric Liddell, was a Christian, and he refused to run on the Sabbath. As a result, he lost the chance to win the gold medal in the race that he was supposed to win. And on one level, taking that day off was sort of what the movie is about, but they added another level to the movie um, when they contrasted Harold Abrams with Liddell. You see, Abrams and Liddell were both trying to win gold medals, but Abrams was doing it out of a need to prove himself. And at one point, speaking of a sprinting event he, he was competing in, he said, I've got 10 seconds to justify my existence. Liddell, on the other hand, simply wanted to please God who had already accepted him, and that's why he said to his sister, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. Harold was weary even when he rested, where Liddell was rested even when he was exerting himself. Why? Because underneath, the work underneath our work is the reality 
that we need to rest from. It's the work of self-justification. It's the work that often leads us to take refuge in religion. And if we don't rest in what Jesus has already done on the cross, then we'll never be able to truly rest. So when Jesus is saying, I am Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus is saying, I am the Sabbath. I am the true source of rest. The secret of the easy yoke is that I am ultimate rest. So that's my question for you this evening. Do you believe Jesus when he said it was finished? Do you believe him when he says he is Lord of the Sabbath? When on the cross he said, it is finished. I have completed the work. I have lived the life you should have lived. I have died the death you should have died, but it is finished. Now, in all this, Jesus is not saying don't Sabbath. In fact, he said very clearly that Sabbath is for man, not man for the Sabbath. So our practice this week, as we've been in this series, we've been taking on a practice each week so that we see our faith not as a compartmentalizing, but as something that is a part of our rhythms of life. And our practice this week is to practice Sabbath rest. And maybe you already do this. Maybe you set aside Sundays or a Saturday, the day doesn't really matter, um, but you choose a day in which you are going to rest and remember the Sabbath. Um, that said, practice of the Sabbath is actually different for the Christian than it is for the Jew. Um, and I don't have too much time to go into that tonight, but I did just write a 2,500-word paper. If you want to read it, let me know on this exact topic. Um, but I'm going to give you three principles, okay? So three principles on what it means for the Christian to practice Sabbath. The first is this. Religiosity can be the enemy of the Sabbath. Notice what Jesus does on the Sabbath, right? He picks grains because his disciples were hungry. He healed a man with a withered hand. He cast out an unclean spirit. He healed the sick. He healed a man with dropsy. He healed a man who was ill for 30 years, and he healed a man born blind. He did all these things on the Sabbath. Jesus' healing ministry on the Sabbath was both physical and spiritual. And likewise for us, the Sabbath is spiritual. It's physical. It's emotional. It's social. It's psychological. It's all these things. And it's not about what day you practice or the, doing it in the right manner, or how many hours in which you practice it. In fact, it can look a lot of different ways. Um, we'll talk about that in a second. The second principle is this. Resting for your, from your work may look different for you than for me. For example, um, if you were a lawnmower by trade, resting from your work would probably not be mowing lawns. Okay? We're resting from the work in which we do. Whereas for me, I love mowing the lawn. It gives me life. There's something about me being able to, to get out there and see the work, the immediate joy of a fresh lawn. It's life-giving. By the time I'm done, I don't feel exhausted. I feel energized. On the other hand, if I go home and on a Saturday, my family and I are practicing Sabbath and I'm on my phone all day checking emails and responding to text messages and doing work-related things, that is not, in fact, resting from the Sabbath. That is not practicing Sabbath. So it can look different um, for different people. And that's really one of the fundamental elements is understanding how do we rest from our work? What things um, give us joy and life? There's a great story that R.C. Sproul told. He, he told the story of, and we don't know if it's apocryphal or not, but basically the story of John Knox who uh, showed up um, to Geneva 
and visited John Calvin at his home on the Sabbath. He was shocked to find Calvin enraged, or he's shocked to find Calvin engaged in lawn bowling. And if the story is true, it may indicate that the theologian most devoted to Sabbath keeping in history, which is Calvin, did not see recreation as a violation of the Lord's day, which has kind of been a debate over time. But in fact, lawn bowling was a way in which he found rest and life. The Sabbath doesn't need to fit into this neat, tidy category of ritual, but it's seeking your heart to discern what is it that gives you life. Third principle, we rest by participating in a life-giving activity and remembering that God, that remembering the God who created work and rest. The other element of Sabbath is to remember. It's to remember who's in charge of the world. It's to remember who created you. It's to remember that God created you for work and rest. And so in that Sabbath practice, we remember and are reminded of the God who sustains us. Now, I suspect that some of you maybe have never practiced an intentional Sabbath. The truth is, these things don't usually happen by accident. We have to be intentional about scheduling things like this in our life. And I'd also suspect that maybe some of you are tired. I don't know your story, but wherever you're at in your journey in faith, I want you to hear the words of Jesus and the invitation one more time. Jesus says to you, Come, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. That's the invitation that Jesus has for you. So let us go and be intentional in building the the Sabbath into the rhythm of our week. Um, We do this, we rest, not because the work is finished, but because the work is never finished. And the true and ultimate work was finished by Jesus on the cross. Let's remember that God made the world, that God made us for work and rest, and embrace the secret of the easy yoke together. Let's pray. Lord, help us to discern what this means for us, what it means to take a true Sabbath rest, to delight in you, to remember who you are, the one who sustains us. May we work diligently with integrity and find purpose and meaning in the work and vocation you've called us to but in that knowing that we were called to an even greater purpose, and that is to enjoy you forever. God, help us to do that by practicing Sabbath, by practicing rest, by turning off our phones, by being quiet, by doing things that give us life. Lord, I pray for anyone who's feeling the weight and the burden of exhaustion. I pray that you would give them special rest. And that in that all of us would come to a space where we can trust you at your word. Pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.